right, so we are in our series that we're continuing this week called People, Places, and Things. And what we've been doing over the summer is we're just looking at different people, places, and things in the Word of God and how that relates to the character of God and how it relates to our life and, and all those good things. And uh, I've really been enjoying it. It's really been challenging to me. One of the great things about getting to preach is that I have to study. And when I study the Word, I always, always get something out of it. No matter how many times I've read a particular passage, there's just always something the Lord shows me. And uh, this week has been no different. I'm really excited about this message. Uh, this week I'm gonna be talking to you out of a parable, uh, which if you are new to the faith or you're still kind of kicking the tires of faith and you've never really read the Bible, uh, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he taught a lot in parables. Parables are stories that he would tell. They were illustrations he would give. Uh, these things didn't actually happen. They were illustrations he would give to show the character of God and to show how the kingdom of God works and the heart of our heavenly Father. And uh, one, of the, one of the best parables that Jesus gave was the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, that's the one we're gonna be going through today. And some of you have probably heard the story a thousand times, some of you heard it preached a hundred times, but uh, stick with me today because I think one of the ways the Lord has blessed me when it comes to studying his word is he gives me things a lot of times that I feel like can easily be overlooked or bypassed or not seen. And, uh, and I feel like he did that for me this week as well. And so I'm pretty, pretty excited about this. So stick with me, I think you're gonna be uh, challenged today. Uh, so the story is out of Luke 15, and before I read my text verse, I'm gonna kind of set it up for just a minute. Um, the, it, it's the story of a father that had two sons. The younger son comes to the father and he says, hey, I want all my inheritance, which was a very bold, uh, outrageous, audacious thing for him to ask because inheritances were never given until the father actually passed away. But this son didn't wanna wait, he wanted his inheritance, and the father gave him his inheritance. And he packed his stuff and he went off to a distant country, the Bible says. And he's off in this country, and Jesus said that this, this young man, he, he squandered all of his inheritance in a short amount of time with wild living, is what the Bible says. We can only assume what that means. Uh, the older son later says something about prostitutes, so he was, he was doing a lot of lascivious things. And uh, he squandered all of his wealth, and it got to the point where he was in a lot of need. He was hungry, he was so desperate that he hired himself out to a pig farmer who had him serving the pigs and feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he was so hungry that he even wanted just to eat the food he was giving the pigs, which is really gross, because I'm sure what you're giving a pig isn't a, a nice piece of steak and a baked potato, right? And so uh, he finally, the Bible says, he comes to his senses and he says, oh my goodness, the servants in my dad's house have more than enough food to eat. I'll just go back to him and I'll just throw myself at his mercy. And that's where our text verse picks up. In uh, Luke 15 and verse 20, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please, as we read this text together. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look at the screens or use your Bible app on your phone. This is in the NIV, follow along with me. He says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off. I love that phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible because it shows the heart of God. It says his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Praise God. It's funny because it's like the, the father didn't even listen to the son. He came home and was ready to give him his speech and didn't even listen to him. Aren't you thankful that sometimes God doesn't listen to us? <laughs> because sometimes our pleas would try to change who he is. His ways are always better than ours. 
But the title of my message today is No Longer Worthy. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are so awesome in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask you would come and have your way in the rest of this time that we have together, Lord. God, we thank you today that we just proclaimed that you live and that all glory and honor is yours. And God, we say that from our hearts today. Would you be honored and glorified in this place in the rest of this time we have together today, God? I pray that you would, you would plow up the hardened ground in our hearts, and Lord, that you would make us good seed where we can receive your word and it can produce in our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. So, you know, the longer we live, the more we realize how uncertain and unstable and unsettled life can be, right? You can feel like you're on the mountaintop one minute and then the next minute you're down in a valley. And when you're on the mountaintop, you're feeling like there's no way I'm ever gonna be knocked off this mountaintop. And then when you're in the valley, you feel like you're never gonna get out of the valley, right? It's easy to feel that way because our emotions can be so fickle as well in our life. You can feel like you have everything one minute and nothing the next. I have a very superficial story that uh, situation that happened to me actually just this week, a couple days ago, that kind of illustrates this. Uh, so uh, Friday morning, I was driving here to the church. I was coming pretty early. It was about 7.30, 7.20ish, and uh, there's, a, there's a coffee trailer at the corner of Columbia and Bel Air a few days a week, and they have really good coffee, so I stopped, and I was getting a, a large cup of hot coffee. And uh, after I ordered my coffee, I walked up, ordered my coffee, and paid for it, all of a sudden, the lady came out of the trailer, and she had two big frozen frappe type blended coffee drinks with whipped cream on them. I mean, they were beautiful. And uh, she sets them up on the counter and she's taking pictures of it with right beside their sign. And she said, oh, it's frozen Friday. This is for our website, for the Instagram, for social media, all that. I was like, okay, whatever. Well, then when she's done, she takes them and she hands them to me. She said, there you go. And I, I, what's this for? She said, well, we made these for the picture and you're the only one here, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, wow, well, thank you. Um, and problem was that I already ordered my coffee too. So they gave me my coffee and these two drinks. I'm like three drinks, taking it back to my van. I put them in there, I come to the church. It's early Friday morning. Most people are, most of our staff are off Friday. So I'm the only one here, two frozen drinks, you know, and I, I've got, obviously they're both sugary and I'm trying to, you know, eat as little sugar as possible. And uh, so I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. I took a few sips of it just to make sure, you know, it was, was poisonous. And, um, <laughs> And I ended up dumping them down the drain because they were iced. And, you know, that was only last about 20 minutes, you know. I kind of felt bad, but whatever. I was like, well, I still got my coffee. So I take my coffee. I sit at my desk. I just sat down. I took a sip of my coffee. I set the coffee down. I did something with my hand, and I hit it, knocked it over. Lid fell off, and it was liquid gold just flowing down my desk. I mean, the biggest mess I've ever made in my life with a cup of coffee. And uh, all the way down my desk, onto the carpet. I'm frantically trying to get it off the carpet, you know, because coffee stains carpet. And, Took me like 20, 30 minutes to clean it all up. And I was really sad, but uh, I got over it. Um, thankfully, I'm not addicted to coffee, so it had about three sips left in it, so I took those and that was my coffee for the day. But you know, it's just ironic because I started off 10 minutes earlier with everything. I had every kind of coffee, every drink you could ever want, your heart could ever desire, and I went from having three drinks to zero. And I didn't really even get to consume the one. But you know, that is how life is, right? You get on the mountaintop and just like that, you could be knocked off, you know? And obviously this is a very superficial story, but there's real life situations like this too, right? Where you've like, you finally got the job you just thought you needed because it was gonna change your life, right? Or you finally got the promotion that you just knew was going to change your life. Or 
you aced the exam that you just knew you had to ace it, right, to be able to get what you needed. Or in relationships, you know, you, you finally get the nerve to talk to that person you've had feelings for for a while, right? And when you finally talk to that person, to your shock and amazement, their feelings are the same for you. And it's like this glorious moment where fireworks are going off, right? And you just feel like you could never be knocked off that mountain. But then we also know that life is tough. Sometimes life is really tough. And so we will get knocked off of that mountain all the time, right? And sometimes it's in those same situations that put us on the mountain. Where you know that job you just thought you had to have turned out to be a real dud of a job. Or the promotion that you got, thought you was gonna change your life turned out to just be a lot more work with very little more money, right? Or that relationship that you just had to have, that person turned out to not be the person you thought they were. It's so easy for us to get into those situations in life. In fact, it's kind of funny because that's exactly how it happened with me and Joy. I finally got the nerve up to talk to her, to share my feelings with her one day, and I was so prepared for the rejection, I'd already come up with my response to when she would say she just wanted to be friends. I was gonna say, well, I do too. <laughs> because that, you know, I just figure, well, she just needs more time, because I'm still gonna worm my way in, right? But to my shock and amazement, she actually felt the same way. And I was so shocked, we just stared at each other for a while because we didn't know what to say. Um, thankfully, that turned out pretty well for me. Uh, but a lot of times it doesn't, right? And we can get knocked off and we wonder where God is in those situations, right? You know, when we're on the mountain, sometimes we feel like we don't need him. That can be a tendency because everything's going so good. But then when we're in the valley, we're frustrated because we don't feel him because if he was there, we wouldn't be in the valley. And I just wanna to start today by telling you and encouraging you that God is unequivocally in all of those situations. He's with us in every situation. He's with us on the mountain. He's with us in the valley. He's with us on the plateau. He never leaves, never forsakes. He's always, always there. The issue is usually with us. And it's our perception, it's our perspective in these situations. Which brings me to my story of the prodigal son. And I'm sure most of you know the story even more than what I just read. But you know, we, there's, it's actually the story of two sons. One went from being on the mountain to being in the deepest valley to being back on the mountain. The other one thought he was on the mountain but was actually really in a valley. And you see this throughout this story and we can all relate to this whether you're the one who left and squandered everything or whether you're the one that stayed at home. We all can relate to some of what happens in this story that we're gonna get into as we go along. And one of the key phrases in this story is also my title. It says that he was no longer worthy. He went back to his father and said, no, I'm no longer worthy of your relationship. And it is foundational that we understand that whether we were the faithful child that stayed in the father's house or we were the one that squandered everything and went away, that we are not worthy. See, this son was more right than he even knew because he wasn't worthy, but it was long before he left and squandered all of his stuff. See, the unworthiness of us being in a relationship with our Heavenly Father goes all the way back to the beginning of the book. It goes all the way back to Genesis, where Adam and Eve were told not to do something, and they did that thing, and it opened the floodgates. It ushered sin into the earth, and it has been here ever since. And from that moment, our ability to be in relationship with God was hindered because we brought sin into the world. And so... His unworthiness didn't start when he messed everything up. It started long before that. It was just then that he actually realized that he wasn't worthy. Praise God, though, our worthiness or lack of worthiness to being with God is not the issue. We don't have to be worthy 
because it's not about whether or not we are worthy, it's about his worthiness. It's about his extravagant love in our life. Oh, the, the, the job that we have, the role we have in this relationship is just to receive it. And many of us know this, right? This is how we come into a relationship. This is how we step into salvation is to receive the extravagant love of our heavenly father. It's interesting because this story is usually titled in your Bible, if, they, if your Bible's broken up into segments, they'll title this the prodigal son or the lost son. This story could just as easily be called the prodigal father or the prodigal God. You see, when we think of prodigal, we think, of that, we think that that means that's someone that goes away. Because you know, we'll say like, oh, the prodigal child has returned. And it, the context that we'll use it is often that that person went away and was rebellious and wayward and, and a runaway. That's not what prodigal actually means. Prodigal actually means wastefully extravagant. So this prodigal son that left, he was prodigal because he was wastefully extravagant. He wasted and squandered all of his inheritance in a short amount of time. But you know, when we look at this, we actually see that the father was wastefully extravagant too. He was extravagant with his love. When the son came to him and said, I want my inheritance now, do you know contextually what he was really saying there by wanting his inheritance before his father died, he was saying basically, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, just give me what I, is rightfully mine so I can go. Yet the father still loved him. He still gave him his inheritance. He was extravagantly wasteful in giving his son his inheritance. And then when the son comes back, if you know the story, he comes and throws himself at his father's feet. He was wastefully extravagant again with the son. He wasn't going to let him come back and just be a servant in his house. He said, bring me a robe, bring me sandals, bring me a ring to put on his finger. Go get the fattened calf. Let's kill this calf because we're going to have a party. The father was wastefully extravagant. So he's also the prodigal God which is a very, very good thing for us, that we serve a God that is willing to be wastefully extravagant with his love for us. Because you see, worth implies, for us to be worthy, that would imply that we're bringing something to the table. That would imply that we are good enough in some way that we are deserving of the love of the Father. When the reality is, if we know, if you've been in a relationship with your Father and you've you know your Bible, you read your word, you understand that there's nothing we could ever do. We don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing we bring to the table except ourselves. And that's what made it so great about this son saying, I am no longer worthy to be your son, was that he was never worthy before, but now he knows it. You see, the older son, when we get to the end of the story, which you'll see here in a little bit, the older son didn't think he wasn't worthy. And he's the real tragedy in this story, is the older son. So, there's some tensions that we see from this story that that are revealed, that, uh, that it's important that we understand these tensions and we know how to walk them out in our life because I believe it can be life-changing for us. And some of it's a, some tough words, but anytime we get tough words from the Word of God and from our God, they're always to, to bring us to a place of greater revelation of Him, of greater relationship with Him. And so the first tension I wanna give you today is that the Father stayed home. Notice the Father did not chase Him. The father stayed home. And you know, we read this story so many times, you don't, may not even think about that much, but why didn't the father go after him? If he loved him so much, why didn't he chase after him? You see, remember this story, when Jesus talks in parables, what he's doing is he is giving us some insight. He's giving us a look, a glimpse into the character of God. He's letting us see how the kingdom of God works. 
So it's very, everything, you know, a parable, every word in a parable was intentional. This wasn't an actual story. So anything Jesus said was intentional. This wasn't just a happenstance that, oh, in this case, the father stayed home. No, he's showing the character of God. And this might go against some of our narratives in our life. And what we've heard or even been preached to about the heart of God is that maybe, you know, no matter what, when you reject God, God's just chasing you. When you reject him, you can't run away from him because he's chasing you. And some of it, I don't want to split hairs and, you know, say that we have to be, we can't say certain things, but we do need to be careful how we talk and how we believe about the character of God because it affects how we live our life. So according to this, this depiction of the character of God disputes the idea that God chases us when we reject him because the father stayed at home. Now listen, before you label me a heretic, hear me out, okay? Because I believe this is actually somewhat, it's enlightening and it's somewhat freeing for us to understand this. Because you could easily look at this verse, if you read through Luke and Luke chapter 15 where this parable is, there's two other parables in this chapter as well that would argue with what I'm saying right now. There's the parable of the lost coin and there's the parable of the lost sheep. And if Jesus says very clearly that the woman that lost the coin, she left the 99 coins to go find the other one. And when she found it, she said, come rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And the same thing with the sheep. When the shepherd saw that one of his sheep was missing, he left the 99 to go get that one sheep and bring him back into the fold. And he rejoiced when that sheep was brought back, okay? And that's great, and that is the character of God too, but there's a difference between those two stories and the prodigal son. The coin didn't lose itself. The coin didn't reject the woman that owned it. It didn't go off on its own and run into, unless it's an animated coin, but I don't think that's what it was. The sheep, if you know anything about sheep, sheep, he's not rejecting the shepherd. He's not rejecting the flock. The problem with sheep, they wander off all the time, but it's not because they're rejecting, it's because they're dumb. <laughs> they're just not real intelligent animals, which is really funny because Jesus refers to us as sheep quite a bit. <laughs> I'm just the messenger, guys, okay? But the sheep is not rejecting its leader, its owner, its community. It's just wandering off. And so when we are wandering off, the Lord may come chase us and bring us back, but when we have rejected him, when we've been in his house and we've been part of his family and we reject that and we walk away, God stays at home. He stays at home. And it's important that we know that because some of us have had bad theology, bad teaching in our life, and we think, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm kind of running and doing my own thing. I'm kind of running from God, but you know what? I believe God's chasing me. One day he's just gonna overwhelm me and everything's just gonna change and it's gonna be fine. Can I tell you today, if that's you, you have missed it because that's not the character of your God. You're not just gonna wake up one morning and go, man, I'm just not selfish anymore. Praise God. All the lust in my heart is gone. I just, I have, I have all the fear that I've just allowed to permeate in my life is just left. God doesn't just come in and overwhelm us and pull those things out of our life. The father didn't chase the son into the bars and into the brothels and say, son, you've gotta come back home. He didn't come to him begging on his hands and he's saying, son, please come back. I'll do anything you want, just come back. It's not what he did. He waited at home. Because here's the thing, church. God did his chasing when he went to the cross. That's the chasing God did in our life. When he came down, when he saw the depravity of man and the sin in man and knew there was no way for man to be reconciled back to him on their own, God said, I'm gonna chase after my people. So he came down to earth and lived among us, lived a sinless life, went to a cross, 
died a sinner's death for us, was put in a tomb three days later, rose again. That's the chasing he did. That's what he did to bring us back to him. He, there, the, the path from where we were to get to him before he came to the cross was, a, was a, like a forest that you could not possibly get through to get to the cross. So when he went to the cross, what he did was he paved the road. He paved it, made it nice and smooth, smoother than any road you'll see in Columbia County. Made it nice and smooth for us to get to him. He said, I've done all the work, all you gotta do is come. And he's waiting there for us to come home. So can I ask you, church, today, if that's you, if you've been running from God, if there's areas in your life where you've been running from him and you've been just expecting one day he's just gonna change it and everything's gonna be okay again when you grow up and grow a little older or your kids get out of the house or you finally get married or whatever happens, happens, now I'm gonna be able to go with God because he's gonna chase me and he's gonna catch me one day. It's not what he does. It is on us to make the decision. The, the young son had to come to his senses, the Bible said, and say, I'm going home. And when he went home, praise God. You see the character of God in that too. He may not chase us, but he's waiting for us. He's waiting, and when he sees us a long way off, he's gonna lose all dignity and he's gonna run to us, because that's who he is. That is exactly who he is. And the Bible tells us very, very much so about the consequences of our rejecting him. You see, God didn't care about his status. You know, the father didn't care that he was losing part of his net worth by giving it to the son. He didn't care about the fact that the, that the community was probably gonna ridicule him for giving away inheritance before he died. He didn't care about any of that because he wants our hearts. He doesn't care about the stuff. He wants our hearts. And that's why he didn't chase his son, because he knew he didn't have his heart. If he doesn't have our heart, he doesn't have anything. The, our father does not want our heartless obedience. I'll say it again, he does not want our heartless obedience where we're just obeying the rules. You see, what Jesus was saying in this moment, in this parable, was, was going against everything the Jews had ever known. Because all they knew up until this point was the law of Moses and the laws they added to the law of Moses. They had hundreds of laws that they were following and that was relationship with God. They were the older brother in this story that said, I'm doing everything I know to do, God. I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. They're following the list. That's all they knew and Jesus is saying, the obedience is important, but it's not primary, it's secondary. What's primary is the heart. He wants the heart. And when we reject him with our heart, there are consequences. Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 27. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, after we've been in the house with the Father, we've been a son or a daughter of the God, after we have received that, there is no sacrifice for sins that is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Yuck. That's not a verse to end on. That's not the encouraging, everybody's good, you're good, and I'm good kind of verse, but it is truth. It is truth, church, that when we reject him, the sacrifice for sins is gone. God does not chase us. He is. He is standing back waiting patiently for us to come back. And I love, I love the heart of God because it, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, look what he says, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
His heart is that we would come back. He's patient. He's not judging us. He's not condemning us when we reject him and venture out on our own. He's patient and he's waiting because he wants us all to come to repentance and to come back to him. 1 John 3, first part of verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life. That's the work. That's the chasing he did, church. That's the chasing. And it is upon us to respond to that in our life and to go back home. It's time to go back home, church. All right. The next tension that I want to share with you today, the reason he doesn't chase us is because of this one. Because the best place to be is at the end of your rope. The best place to be, I told you this wasn't going to be easy, but, but it's good because it's life-changing for us. The reason the father stayed at home was because he knew the heart of his son, and the only way to change the heart of his son was that he had to get to a place where he was at the end of his rope, where his self-reliance ended, where his independence ended, where his own desires to do his own thing and his selfishness ended. And for most of us, most of the time, that comes when we get to the end of our rope. So that's the best place we can be, and that's where your heavenly father actually wants you. Spiritually speaking, he wants you at the end of your rope. Let's back up in, this, in, my, in Luke 15 a little bit, a little before my text verse, and see where, what we're talking about here. Verse 14 to 20. It says, after the younger son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. It's getting close to the end of his rope. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So it went from bad to worse. And when he came to his senses, in other words, when he came to the end of his road, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He didn't wait for the father to chase him because it wasn't going to happen. He got up and he went to his father. This is a picture of salvation. The repentance, the turning around from the country he was in and going home. That is exactly what salvation is. And it is worth noting here, again, parable, every word's intentional. It didn't say that the son all of a sudden when he got to the end of his rope went, oh my gosh, I just realized how much my daddy loves me. I have an overwhelming sense of the love and mercy and compassion of my father. He didn't know if his father was going to be merciful to him or not. All he knew was that he couldn't do it on his own. That's all he knew. That is the starting point of salvation is that we have to know that we can't do it on our own. Now the revelation of God's love, it, it's in there as well. It comes. And I'm sure once he got home and saw what his father did for him, he started to understand the father's love for him. But salvation starts by us realizing, I can't do it on my own. Not I can't make a living on my own. Not I can't you know, keep my marriage together on my own. Those, those, are, those are further down the road. But the not being able to do it on your own is just knowing that this life cannot be lived. You cannot live a spiritual life on your own. That you cannot be righteous on your own, that you cannot be good on your own, that you cannot fulfill the calling of God on, in your life on your own. That's the start of salvation. And he realized he couldn't do it on, the own, on his own. He got to the end of his rope. So don't you think if God 
knows that we're, when we get to the end of our rope, that's where the heart transformation usually happens. Don't you think it would behoove God to let us get there? And see, if he'd have chased him, he wouldn't have got there. He might have brought him back home, he might have came home, and he would have been there for a little while, and chances are, we all know what probably would have happened again. He'd went out again. He'd wanted a little more inheritance and went out again, right? It behooves God for us to be at the end of our rope. Because sometimes to get our hearts to be about him and not about us, we have to lose our dignity. We have to lose our self-reliance, we have to lose our independence, and we have to lose our pride. It's the only way. To really have a heart for the Father is to lose our pride. And you know what, our pride is at its weakest at the end of our rope. So that's a good place to be. This is why the Father stayed home. God wants us to be at the end of our rope because this is where heart change happens. Time and time and time again, people come back to God because they realize, I can't do it on my own. Maybe even that's happened to you. There's been areas in my life, I'm not even talking about like your whole life just running away from God, but areas of your life where you've tried to do it on your own and you've come to that place where you've realized, I can't do it. I cannot do it on my own. We get to the end of our rope and it causes us to turn around and come home. It's amazing how your perspective changes when you get to that place. It's amazing. And God wants that so much for us in our life that he will allow storms to come in our life to get us to that place. And not only that, this will rock some of your worlds, but sometimes he even brings the storm to get us to the end of our rope. He'll bring a storm in our life. You guys know the story of Jonah, right? Most of you know the story of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. He was a prophet of God, and God said, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh was the most vile, evil people probably on the planet at the time. And Jonah didn't want to go preach to them because he wanted God to judge them. And so he didn't want to go, so he decides when it's time to go get on a boat, there's a boat going towards Nineveh and there's a boat going the other way, he gets on the boat going the other way. And can I tell you today, if you're running from God, there's always, always, always a boat going the other way. Always. And you always have the opportunity to get on it. And can I tell you, it's usually a really nice yacht with a lot of amenities. And the boat going towards Nineveh is a little John boat with a hole in the bottom. And when you get on, they give you a bucket because you gotta bail water as you go to make it there. The Bible tells us that sins, we can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sometimes it's very appealing. And if you wanna run from God, there will always be a boat going the other way. There will always be a prostitute willing to take your money or friends that are willing to be your friends as long as you have money. There's all kinds of places that are willing to be there for you if you wanna run from God. So Jonah ran, and while he's on the boat, the Lord brings a storm, the Bible says. And it was a bad one. And the boat, they knew the boat was gonna break apart and they were all going to die. And finally, Jonah gets to the end of his rope. And he realizes that it's because of him. And he tells the men on the boat, he says, throw me overboard and this storm will stop. And they do it, and it did. And you know the rest of the story. A fish swallows him, spits him out three days later. He goes to Nineveh and preaches. And the, Nineveh, the Ninevites repent and are shown the mercy of God. So, Jonah was running from God. And we will often run from God. And when we do, sometimes God will bring a storm in your life. And can I tell you today, I know this is for some, some of you today. I know it is. 
where you're running from God in a certain area of your life. God's called you to something, whether it's just a morality thing, whether it's a specific calling that he's put on you and he's put it on your heart and you can't get rid of it, but you're running from it. You're on the boat going the other way because you don't wanna do it. And there's a storm in your life and you've been praying and asking God to get rid of this storm. Let me tell you, if you're praying and ask God to get rid of a God-ordained storm, you are wasting your breath. Stop asking God to change your circumstances. Ask God to change you. That's where it's at for all of us. Praise God. We're not about, I, I, I've said this quite a bit, but I'm to the place in life where I don't have any issue with praying for God to change our circumstances, but I do very, very, very little of it because so many times in our circumstances, first of all, they're not as bad as we think they are once we get God's perspective, usually. And second of all, if he changes me, I can have peace in the storm sometimes. And I know from experience, and many of you do too, peace in the storm is almost better than just peaceful waters. Because you know you have peace when you really shouldn't. Because it's taking you to another level of trusting him. And it's taking you to another level of less independence and more reliance on him. And I'll take that any day over calm waters. So don't just ask God to always change your situation. Ask God, what are you doing in this situation? What do you want me to see in this situation? Open the eyes of my heart to see what you're doing, God, and help me to submit to whatever you're doing and whatever is going on. And you will experience God in ways you never thought you could. We miss out on so much of what God wants to do in our life because we just want him to fix our stuff. And he's good, he's merciful, and he's gracious, he's a good father, and he'll do stuff like that for us. But man, we miss out. I mean, we get 10% when we could be getting 90. If we just have the perspective of wanting to know what he's doing in the situation. Thank God. And I, I'm so thankful to God because when we do run, it doesn't disqualify us. The young son wasn't disqualified. Jonah was not disqualified. Because he is the God of second chances, you know. And fourth, and third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth. He was waiting at the window. And at the end of the rope, is conviction, repentance, reliance on God. But I will say this too, there's also something else waiting at the end of your rope that if we're not careful, can take over too, and that's shame. Because when we get to the end, we, we, become a, we, we determine that we're a failure, I can't do it. It's easy for us to have shame in our situation. The young son had shame. He ran back and he had his speech of shame already for the father. Lord, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I'm, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm gum on the bottom of your shoe. I'm, I'm scum, I'm nothing, I'm no good, just let me be a servant, right? That was the shame speech that he was gonna give. And you saw at the beginning, the father was, wasn't even hearing it. It was like it didn't even go in his ears. He's like, I hear this muffled noise of you talking, but I need you just to be quiet because I'm bringing a robe and some sandals and a ring and we're gonna have a party because there is no place for shame in the kingdom of God in our relationship with him, no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter how often we've messed up, when we turn around and come back, the shame has to stay back where we were. It doesn't get to come with us. And if it did come with you, it's because of you. Because God is never one to put shame in our heart. If you feel shame, I can tell you without having to pray or look at your situation, it is absolutely not from God. 100% sure of it. Because he is, his death on the cross was to take away the shame that we have because of our sin. He is ready and willing to receive us back. All right, third and finally, the third tension. Your righteousness will also keep you far from the Father. Your righteousness 
will keep you far from the Father. You know, the young son's selfishness kept him from the Father, right? His independence, his, his self-reliance kept him from the Father. But the older son, which I said earlier, was the real tragedy in this story. His righteousness kept him just as far from the Father. Now, geographically, he wasn't. He was still in the house. But he was very, very far from the Father. We'll continue reading in Luke 15. These are the verses 25 to 32. This is after the son came back and the dad said, we're gonna throw a party. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard loud music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Doesn't sound much like a son, does it? He's saying, look how good I am. Look how righteous I've been. Look at all the stuff I've sacrificed for you, dad. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we see the real tragedy in this story of the older, of the older brother. It says he was angry that his younger brother came in. And if you notice there, he doesn't even say my brother. He says this son of yours comes home. He's not even claiming him as his brother anymore. Why was he so angry? The, the older son still got his inheritance. So the, the custom back then was that the oldest son got twice as much as the other siblings got. So there's two sons. So the younger son would have got one third of the estate. The older son still got his two thirds when his dad died. So he didn't lose anything in this whole scenario. He lost nothing. Yet he was angry when his brother came home. It's because he was self-righteous. He says, I have been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed an order. You know that's not true. There's no son alive that's never disobeyed his dad. <laughs> but he saw himself as this righteous, pompous person that is just so upstanding and upright. I would never do what my brother did. I'm good. He's bad. Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites because they're evil. I'm good. I'm the good guy. I'm the one here that's following your rules, God, and doing what you're asking me to do. Why do you want me to go to them? Why would you want to extend mercy to them? Because he was self-righteous. Because he did think he was worthy. The older son did think that he was worthy of the father's love because he's trying to sell himself. He's saying, look what all I've done to be your son and to, to follow in what you've asked me to do. And there is an entitlement in this situation with this older son, and we can judge him all we want, but oh my goodness, does this sound like us? I don't know about you, this sounds like me. See, we're all we all have tendencies to go to be more like the older son or the younger son. You know, some of us have a tendency to be like the younger one that's, you know, struggles to kind of stay in the fold and kind of wants that independence, kind of wants the perks of the relationship with, with the father but doesn't really want to put the work in, kind of wants to just have the benefits of a relationship with God but really wants their independence and kind of do their own thing and you find yourself kind of venturing out a lot and, and feel like you mess up quite a bit and you do things that you just know, mm, but it's just hard for you to stay. And then there's those of us that are always trying to be the best Christian we can be, always wanting to do 
as much as we can do for God, to, to show God how much we love him, to show how faithful we can be. We go to church all the time, we, we give all the time, we, we help people all the time, and those things are wonderful. But if we're not careful, our tendency can be to rest on our laurels and to say, well, I'm worthy of God's love because look what all I do for him, right? Why is, why is this guy over here, who I don't even think has a relationship with Jesus, why did he get healed of cancer, and here I am over here loving Jesus with all my heart, and I can't get a healing? Why, is, why are these people over here that I know are cheating and stealing anytime they can, they're so blessed financially, and they got 16 cars and four houses, and here I am, I'm a regular tither, I'm a giver, I'm serving God with all my heart, and I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. Why are you doing that, God? I mean, who hasn't asked that to themselves? Right? I mean, we wouldn't say it out loud because it sounds incredibly ridiculous, but I know I've had the thought. I know we have those thoughts. And we start to think, God, you, you owe me. You owe me. I mean, look what I'm doing for you. Look how much I live for you. Look how I've, I've read through my Bible more times than I can count, God. Like, I'm, I'm quick to repent. I pray every day. I fast as much as I can. I'm faithful to my spouse. I'm good at my job. I always show up, I never call out sick unless I'm actually sick. <laughs> and all these things that we do and we think God owes us. And how you know you think God owes you is if when you see God do something and show his mercy to someone you think is less deserving, it'll frustrate you. If there's even an ounce, church, and I mean a twinge of jealousy or frustration when you see the mercy of God poured out on someone else, then you are self-righteous. You're dealing with self-righteousness in your life. And let me tell you, I'm the first one to raise my hand to say that that's something I can deal with. And I beg God all the time to keep me humble, to keep me at a place where I know that I'm not worthy, where I know that I don't deserve anything from him. I'm bringing absolutely nothing to the table. And if he wants to pour out his mercy on someone that I deem is less worthy than me, praise God. And if he wants to bless somebody that spits in God's face and he still wants to show them mercy and bless them, praise God. That's the heart I wanna have in every situation. Because our own righteousness can keep us just as far from God as if we're running off to a distant country living in sin. It's just as bad, in fact, it's more dangerous because we can convince ourselves that we're right. And we're not right. And we don't deserve anything that he gives us. We don't deserve any blessings he gives us. And if you think God's looking for good people because good people are the ones that are gonna to go to heaven, you've missed it. God's not looking for good people. He's looking for broken people. He's looking for people that are willing to say, in the words of Paul, I can't do it. In my weakness, Lord, be strong. I am the chief of sinners, Lord. That's the heart we need to have. God doesn't owe us a trip to heaven or an eternity in heaven. He gives that to us because it's a free gift that he gives so that no one can boast. Yet we'll still boast in our heart about how good we are or how much we think we're doing when we compare ourselves to others. Which by the way, comparison is the worst thing you can do in your faith because it'll do nothing but get you in trouble. If you're gonna compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to Jesus. That'll keep you humble. <laughs> every day, every single day. We must deal with our righteousness. It's sin, church. It is sin in our life. And we have to deal with it aggressively. Jonah was self-righteous. And you notice in that story, Jonah says, tells these guys to throw him overboard. And I thought about this a long time ago because I, I preached on this a little over a year ago and was like, why did he say that? Why did he just do it himself and jump off? 
And you know what I realized is that the sin, that self-righteousness, that sin in our life, it's never going to kill itself. It's never going to willfully leave the boat in our life. If we're gonna want sin out of our life, we're gonna have to pick it up by the scruff of the neck and the pants and chuck it over the railing. It's the only way we're getting rid of it in our life. It's not just gonna go away. We have to deal aggressively with it. And if we, and if we condone the, the self-righteousness in our life, it will take over. It'll never just leave. That's why Jonah said, you guys gotta throw me out because I can't do it on my own. Because just like humans have self-preservation, sin in your life has a need for self-preservation too. Sin doesn't wanna go. Sin loves being in control. Loves having its say in your life. So we have to deal with it aggressively. Hallelujah. Pray for God to change you, not your situation. Change my heart, God. Would you stand with me, please? It's time to pray. I wanna invite you to the altar this morning. You can come for anything, but there's three specific things I wanna invite you to come. I think it's important for us to respond to the word of God. If you've never known him, you feel like you've never been part of his home, you're not even a prodigal that's gone away and spent your inheritance, you never felt like you had an inheritance, you've never known your, your Lord and Savior, I wanna encourage you today to come home. Because the Father's waiting for you. Because there's nobody that's not his child that would wanna come home. You don't have to go another day without knowing that you are part of the family of God to repent, to turn from your sins. The Bible says that we, as we turn and we repent of our sins and we confess him as Lord, that we will be saved. But if, that, if, if you're here today and you've, you've been in the house but you feel like you've ran to a distant country and you've squandered your inheritance and you know that you've given up a lot of the blessings of being in the house, I wanna tell you today, come home. Come home. The road is paved. It's very easy to come home. You just have to turn and come back to him. He, you might be a storm in your life where God's trying to get your attention. Don't pray for the storm. Pray for your heart. Just come home. If there's something in your life, a situation in your life, I'm not saying your whole life is a teetotal mess, but there are situations in your life where you know you've been running from God. Just come home. That's all it takes. There's no shame. There's no beating you down. It's just about coming home. But if you're here today and you feel like you've never left, but you've probably been standing on your own goodness, you've been standing on your self-righteousness, you've been standing on your ability to serve God the way you think you should serve him, and you're, you're proud of it sometimes, and you think that you deserve something from God or that God owes you, or you found yourself saying, God, I've done X, Y, and Z, why won't you do A, B, and C for me? You're, we're just as far from God in those situations as somebody that runs away, so come home. Come home today, I encourage you to respond. I encourage you to, to repent of our sins. Repent literally, church, just means to turn around. It's so good, it goes with the story perfectly because the son was in a distant country, he just turned around and went home. He went down the road that was paved to get him back to Jesus. Let's come back to him today. Whatever area you've had in your life that you've not given to him, come back. I love what the father said to the older son. He said, everything I have is yours. You're always with me. But we're gonna celebrate today because my son was lost, now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. That's what he wants to do for all of us in our life. Praise God. Let's pray together, church. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this word, Lord, that you give us, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable, God, that speaks so much truth into our life. Lord, we come to you today thanking you first because we know that we are 
your sons, we are your daughters, that you've brought us into the family, that you chased us when you came and you died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we glorify you, we worship you, we honor you for that today. We thank you that you've done everything you need to do for us to be in your presence, for us to live in your house, for us to enjoy our inheritance with you, God, and to enjoy the blessings of being part of the Father's house. We thank you for that today, God, but we also know that it is our tendency to stray. It is our tendency to reject some of the things of you, God, where you have called us in places that we didn't like it because we weren't ready for that. I'll give you this much, but God, I'm not willing to give you this. Lord, where we have rejected you, God, today we turn around and we come back home. And we thank you, God, that you receive each and every one of us with open arms, that you don't wanna hear our story of shame, you don't wanna hear our groveling. You just wanna put a robe on us and some sandals and a ring and have a party. And God, we receive that today, Lord. We stand against shame. I speak against the, the shame in anyone's life that's under the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus, God, we just, we just cast it out. It has no place here. We silence the enemy's voice in our life and even our own voices that would wanna tell us that we should be ashamed of what we've done or who we are. God, we thank you that in you, we are completely free, that we are born again, that we are children of the King, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and that we have a place at the table in your house. And we bless you for that today, God. We thank you for it. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that has not ever been in your house that has never given their life and their heart to you, God. I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of those today under the sound of my voice. Lord, that no one would leave this place today and no one would turn off the internet today that doesn't know you without making that confession in their life, without committing to turn from their sins and to turn to you. Lord, bring us to the end of our ropes so that we will rely on you. God, bring us to the end of our pride Lord, pride is so damaging in our lives. The self-righteousness, Lord, that we deal with so often. God, I come to you today and I just repent. Lord, where I have felt like I have deserved anything good from you. Lord, I know what I deserve. I know what I'm worthy of. And God, I thank you that I'm not getting any of that. And Lord, I thank you that you poured out your mercy in my life and you poured out your mercy in our lives. Lord, help us to rejoice where you have poured out mercy, even if it's for Nineveh even if it's for those that we think are the least worthy of your mercy, God, I pray that we would not be jealous, we would not get frustrated, but we would rejoice in your mercy because it is worthy of rejoicing. It is worthy of our praise, whether it's displayed in our life or somebody else's life. And we thank you for it today. And it's in your mighty and precious name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Yes, let's praise God today. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Praise God. Mm. God is so good. He is so, so good. I thank him for his word. I thank him for his, that we get glimpses of his character to see how he has called us to be part of his house. I encourage you today that, uh, that this word would germinate in your hearts, that it would stay, that you wouldn't forget it or not remember it by the time you get to lunch today, Lord. But even, even to talk about it with whoever you came to church with and just what the Lord spoke to you about it. And, uh, and the importance of remembering all that he's done in our hearts and our lives. Praise God.